Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the programme which is all about the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. At least that's what I do normally. But on the odd occasion, when there is a news story which, as far as I'm concerned, needs its place and time in the sun, we just go and look at that side of the Atlantic. And today we're looking at the taking of the knee and racism in English football and or... Is it gesture politics or dog whistle politics? And today I'm joined by my good friend, uh, Kathy Edge. Uh, Steve O'Neill, Liberal Democrat, uh, Deputy Head of Policy, he's with us. And we have Steve Crone, who's a man who knows more than just a little thing about accounting when it comes to Hollywood movies and to how a dishwasher works. And we have a new best friend, Jennifer Hanna, with us. Uh, we are recording this, of course, on Clubhouse. And what you should do if you're listening to this podcast is maybe join uh, said uh, Clubhouse and then go find uh, the Mid-Atlantic Room and or go and find me. Uh, if you go and click that little green icon, it means that whenever we go live with these shows, you will be alerted. That is um, our panel. And today we are talking about the thorny topic of racism in English football. Elation for Italy. Heartbreak for Britain that quickly turned into something more sinister. The three black players who missed a penalty shot in the final, each the target of racist abuse online. The morning after in London, not just about cleanup, but a reckoning. That hateful racism post-game is all too familiar. A visceral reminder in Manchester, where offensive graffiti now tars a mural celebrating hometown star Marcus Rashford. It's more depressing, isn't it? Like that we live in a, in a country where this kind of response is, you know, the new normal. The vile words now being covered with love. Rashford is being showered with it. And Rashford has missed! Today he apologised for the penalty that should have gone in, but said he'll never apologise for who he is, a black man from South Manchester. His teammates firmly behind him, as is his coach. For some of them to be abused is 
unforgivable really um i know a lot of that has come from abroad but not all of it and um it's just not what we stand for this is a team that has pointedly called out racism choosing to take a knee before every game even when booed for doing so uh steve i'm going to start with you um what has this last week told us about england um, that maybe we didn't know before I mean, it's brought some things to light, hasn't it? And uh, because we were in, you know, leading up to the final, we we're in this really um, very sort of mood of uh, jubilation, and, but really a lot of pride in the kind of way our team was playing, but like the, the kind of values that they were showing to the world, which included kind of, you know, uh, great achievement and hard work, kind of, I would say, sort of English character, but also the showcasing that we we're, you know, an, I think a tolerant multicultural nation. That's something I'm very proud of. And then after the final, we saw some of the worst sort of examples of, you know, sadly really predictable kind of online racist abuse that seems to dog every time any sort of event like this happens. We seem to always have that depressing headline. Um, so um, it, what it told us is that it is that situation and it, it, it showed it to us in like a magnified way. Kathy, you are Welsh. What does he say about the English? What does he say about English nationalism? What does it say about inclusion? It, as a Welsh person, do you kind of view this and say, that's the English being the English? Give us this from a, a perspective of being British, but not English. It is a little bit the, the English being the English. Uh, I, to demonstrate the point, I watched the match as it happened and I was on the phone. Well, a friend and I watched the match on the phone and she's white and Scottish. And we watched it. And um, as soon as uh, Saka missed his penalty, we both went, oh, no. Not because England lost, I was cheering Italy, but it, because we knew what was going to happen. And I said to an American friend about five minutes later, there's going to be an absolute deluge of abuse now on, on uh, social media. I didn't think it had spread to the streets that the Rashford mural was that I wasn't expecting that. But um, they were like, oh, don't be silly. The goalkeeper... It's his fault as well. And it's like the goalkeeper will get nothing for this because goalies don't. But um, but the fact that uh, two white women from Celtic nations knew exactly that what was going to happen to those players as soon as he missed that, that's sad to know what abuse was going to happen. And it's not the, the headlines in the papers the next day. They make great uh, sport out of kind of um, pretending they're not racist, but they are. And it's just because it's become... It's become acceptable. It's become allowed. It's become. It's not become something. It used to be impolite to to do it, if nothing else. And now you can spout racism anywhere you like, and and people don't address it. I mean, the booing of the anthems. I think I said to you, Lloyd Field, wasn't addressed. A few people saying that's disgusting, and that's it. Nobody gets thrown out. Nobody gets barred. You know, if you've posted racial abuse online, you're going to get banned. Now it's just a bit late. Okay, let's come on to uh, gestures and dog whistles. Uh, before this tournament started, or at least for the last year, the England national football team has been taking a knee. And, and for me, this has been uh, one of the most proudest moments uh, of my life being somebody who's black and English, was the support that Gareth Southgate, the manager, kind of gave the team and said, this is to show solidarity. This is a team, this is a multicultural team that represents the country and we want to unite all sections of the country. He said that before the Euro Championships. And for me, um, it, it, he was doing the job of Boris Johnson. 
you know, absolutely. This is a symbol of England and saying how inclusive actually it was. So it was shocking and upsetting uh, that not only were some sections, not all, some sections of England fans actually booing uh, that gesture, but also the Prime Minister and Priti Patel. Uh, Priti Patel is the Home Secretary for our American listeners. That means the the Law and Order Minister um, basically said fans can do what they want type of thing, you know, giving a clear green light uh, to that level of disrespect actually to the England team. Rizwan, please chime in. What did you think of the gesture of taking the knee before the championships? Like you, I was very proud and of Gareth Southgate's letter to the nation. Uh, and I was very impressed um, how that, that all of the team members did that. Uh, and it reflects both multicultural Britain, but actually the multicultural England players on the pitch in the squad and uh, in football in um, ac- across the UK, but mainly in the Premiership. Um, I was to to hear the, the the comments and the the opinions from those on high uh, talk talking about gesture politics about taking a knee was I found disgusting. Is is there a point where we can say that um, gesture politics just isn't needed? Let's take it out of football for now, because for me, if there's any kind of light at the end of this tunnel is the fact that some right wing politicians have said, we need to stop this culture war now. We don't want to go down a completely an American road. Can we rehabilitate? gesture politics and and have all sections of, of English forward slash British community uh, behind it. Will this be the turning point? That's that's really the point which I'm, I'm kind of stretching for here. Is what's happened to these three players the point when even people that say, hmm, right, there is no such thing as racism. I think we've proven that there is. The, the players were kneeling against it and that something uh, will change. I'm going to come uh, to you, Shen. Uh, you're, you're black, you're British, you're, you're on the stage. Is this going to be an inflection point? Can we use what's happened in the last week as something positive? You'd like to think so. But then if you think back to the days of John Barnes, God, how long is that? How long is that? That now, how many yeah, years? When did, getting on for when 30 years, Barnes, 1980s in his pump. 30 yep. years, 30 years. And John Barnes had to go through an awful lot, didn't he? And it's like nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. So I don't, you, you'd like to think that things are changing for the better, but unfortunately they're not. And, you know, um, England are talking about bidding for the 2030 World Cup. They are not going to have a cat in hell's chance. I mean, aside from all the racism, it was certainly the final was so badly policed and controlled. I, I think the likelihood of them being successful is very, very slim. Um, I'm going to come over to Steve Crone. Steve, uh, you're an American. You spent a lot of time in the UK. You love the beautiful game. Uh, were you surprised uh, by A, the racism, B, the gesture of the knee, um, and then C, um, all the nonsense which has happened this week in England? 
Well, the short answer to that question is no, no, and no. I mean, I wasn't surprised by the racism, to take them just in the order you mentioned. I mean, obviously, as a, as a football fan, I, I do follow the stories, and you don't have to be a football fan, obviously, to know of these stories, of, of racial abuse being directed at players and others um, in England, in other parts of Europe. Uh, that's an ongoing issue, obviously. So I, I, I certainly wasn't surprised, unfortunately. In terms of the taking of the knee, I may not have enough of an understanding of the dynamics as between the national team, uh, the domestic EPL, etc. But it certainly didn't come as a surprise to me as a viewer because I watch English football all the time. And of course, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, isn't the knees taken before every English game? Absolutely. So, yeah. so and then I think, so, so, so again, no, no surprise to me. I mean, I'm just used to seeing that quick moment right before the kickoff whistle uh, where everyone takes a knee and usually the commentators make a quick comment about, you know, uh, uh, no racism in football, etc. And in terms of the specific, I think your third question was the specific reaction to um, what happened in, in the kicks from the spot in the, in the championship game. And, you know, again, given the answer to number one, I, I think the answer here is also, no, I wasn't really surprised. Um, you know, there's going to be a certain percentage of the population. And I think there is a correlation with that percentage of the population and being a vocal online or through other channels of where you can express this kind of bile. And so they come out and, and, and off we go. Um, it's ugly, but I, I can't say I was particularly surprised. Jennifer, uh, you've joined us on stage. Um, you are an American who, who, who lives in, in London. Um, how surprised have you been uh, about unconscious, conscious, overt, covert racism since you've been in the capital city of the UK? Good question. I mean, I have to say, I, I well, regarding the football, I wasn't surprised, sadly. And the minute and my heart dropped, the minute those those three guys, you know, missed their penalties, I had a slight feeling this was going to happen. And my daughter, like, immediately texted me, who's 21 and has goes to university in London. And her friends who are, who are black were saying they were frightened to go home. And, you know, she she went on and she started, you know, denouncing all the trolls on Instagram. She We, we were crying, actually. We were so upset because it doesn't really reflect the London that we've come to know and love. Um I, I do feel like this wasn't the majority, but the fact that this is alive and well, the fact that the government did not take a stronger stance, all of these things were very disappointing, considering that when I compare my life in the UK compared to my life in the US, or actually in any other country that I've lived in in Europe, I felt that London, at least, it was a much more integrated society. And I felt um, like it, it, it felt much better to me than, it, say, the US in comparison. So for me, it was disappointing, but not surprising, sadly. And um, I'm, you know, still very upset about the way um, Boris and Priti Patel reacted to the the taking of the knee. It just seemed completely unnecessary and wrong. Um, yeah, no, not happy, not surprised. Um, and it's it's sad to me because I do feel that in many ways the UK is 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 de deals better than the US in these matters. But 
I mean, that's up for discussion, I suppose. Steve, uh, could you get, kind of give us um, a rundown of the deliberations in Parliament, uh, which have happened, I believe, yesterday uh, to do with the fallout of the incidents um, of uh, racism um, after the Euro final? Yeah, I think the big event yesterday was Prime Minister's Questions, which happens every Wednesday. Uh, and actually, I think it was a, is a, a sort of example, you don't get that often right now, of um, the Tories getting hammered and getting really called up on this. And I think they've got their fingers burnt, um, sort of dipping their, dipping their hands into the culture war. They've got their fingers burnt. Uh, so Keir Starmer really took Boris Johnson there. Was he Keir Starmer for American colleague who should know as the, the leader of the opposition? Um, he focused five of his six questions on this. Uh, and uh, I mean, he used the phrase you used in the beginning, Warfield, that you're giving racism the green light. Uh, and I think it really hammered it home. And you, you've now got lots of conservative MPs backtracking and saying, oh, I think we should rethink our position on taking the knee, which, as you described, was a um, they were giving a, a sort of tacit permission to fans to boo that. Um, so I, I think you know, you want to try, try and find a positive from this. It is that the, we've seen the sort of left-hand side of the debate, the anti-racist side of the debate, win on this cultural issue, which hasn't been happening recently. And um, by the way, public opinion is moving that way too. So we're now um, creeping up towards 60% of people supporting the gesture taking the knee. And that was before the final. So I reckon that's going up further. Um and we've had four players arrested over online racist abuse. Is that the right way uh, to deal uh, with these idiots? Uh, Kathy, chime in. Uh, yeah, it's hate speech. Um, you you wouldn't tolerate it in public. It, it's uh, it's threatening. It's it's yeah. You absolutely absolutely. <laughs> surprised to be asked that. Well, no, um, and I tell you the reason why because many Americans would be surprised. They have a different view of, of freedom of speech. You know that uh, I think the standard of hate speech is somewhat higher in the United States than it is in the UK. Okay, I see. Sorry. Um, well, I mean, what always gets left out of the freedom of speech thing is with freedom of speech comes responsibility. You you can't have one without the other in a, in a in a civilized uh, society and um, you have to bear the consequences of your of your words and your actions. So if you spout that vile invective online, then I absolutely support you being arrested completely. <laughs> Those people who've been arrested have they been named or shamed? Because they should be. Because if they're happy to abuse people, you know, like what keyboard warriors tend to do from the safety of you know, behind their computer, then they should be properly outed, shouldn't they? And then have to deal with the, the consequences of their actions, including losing their job, if that, that what it, that's what it comes down to. There's a petition that just um, reached, uh, I think, 600,000 signatures, which is saying um, people should have to ID themselves when signing up social media accounts. Uh, and I think that's in relation to this and, and getting rid of the idea that people can do this sort of vile abuse um, without without their name showing up. And, and that for me is another kind of key difference between our view of freedom uh, with it comes uh, a level of responsibility and the, the more American notion, which is um, freedom of speech. Uh, I think Americans kind of 
try and tell themselves that freedom of speech is absolute in America, where it's absolutely not. And the classic example is always, even in America, you can't shout uh, fire in, in, in a theater type of thing. So there are limits. Let's say, Steve, you're American, you're a lawyer. Uh, would you feel comfortable with this kind of British view of um, policing uh, Twitter? I know Boris Johnson has called in uh, the, the big social media platforms into Downing Street this week, and he's basically said, you need to sort out your act. This stuff, uh, license online of people being able to say whatever they want ends here now, and we're going to put legislation in place. You as an American, um, if the same thing happened in America in terms of vile racist abuse, would you support such legislation? Well, before I answer that question, <clears throat> which I will answer, let me back up a little. I mean, I, I think I, I, I'm not I know you have an audience um, from, you know, all over the world. But obviously, from the American perspective, and I, I don't think I'm saying anything here, obviously, that everyone on the stage doesn't already know. But obviously, the U.S. Constitution has a First Amendment. And as a result of that, although it is certainly correct to say that freedom of speech is not unlimited in the United States, obviously, that, you know, the First Amendment does mean that the government cannot outlaw hate speech. Uh, and of course, that statement is not true in Europe uh, to varying levels. Uh, many European countries have criminalized certain kinds of hate speech in a way that is not possible under American law. Now, that's different than the question you asked. But just, you know, as a starting place, it, it, there, it, there is a notion that Americans have right about this. But that notion, of course, is informed whether they're whether they have a, a, a sophisticated understanding of the legal background or not, it's informed by this legal tradition that, that because of the First Amendment, the government can't criminalize um, certain kinds of expression that could be criminalized in many places outside of the United States. Second, just as a little footnote to that, I'd like to remind people, you mentioned not being able to yell, you know, fire in a crowded theater. I think Americans are very familiar with the idea, I believe, that if speech raises, you know, the, 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 uh, an imminent threat of physical violence, um, uh, that, that, that it can be illegal. I think Americans kind of get that. Um, but I just want to kind of, as a little footnote data point, there was a Supreme Court case um, decades ago about whether flag burning was protected speech under the U.S. Constitution. And that case was, and a very different court than today, that case was five to four. So there were four Supreme Court justices, and that was one vote away from the court deciding that the First Amendment did not protect the right of an American to burn an American flag as, an, as, a, as a form of political expression. So, you, you know, put aside what the average American might think, the nine Supreme Court justices were as evenly divided as the full court can be on whether that was protected expression. So coming back to your question, I think... I'm nervous about the government deciding. Obviously, there's certain sorts of behavior on social media and in other um, private contexts that's problematic 
and which the relevant platforms or, or, or spaces have an obligation to, um, to deal with. Um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, a football stadium here in the United States, there's certain sorts of behavior in all of those spaces where certain sorts of expressive conduct, which clearly cannot be criminalized by the government, is nonetheless unacceptable and has to be dealt with by rejecting people from the platform, removing them from the premises, because uh, although the government may not have the power to do that, uh, in these private spaces, the proprietors of those spaces have to have the ability to do that, or you know you have a chaos and b uh, offensive behavior going on in these spaces that the folks who created those spaces ought not to allow. Now that brings us back to your question: What can the government do about that? Right, and and that does get tricky in terms of the extent to which. The government can't criminalize conduct that it otherwise would not be able to simply by requiring private actors to disallow it completely. But it's a very complicated legal question. I guess my gut is I would like to see all sorts of pressure put on these various um, virtual and actual platforms to do the right thing. And in the absence of that, uh, it certainly isn't appropriate for government at various levels to bring certain sorts of pressure to bear. But there's a flip side to that. But, but sorry Steve, for the long but, answer. But, but Steve, don't, sorry, don't, don't we need that? Don't we need that? Because in effect, I, I know t I'll tell you this, there's another aspect to this, which I've said this to a few Americans, is that through the back door, American notions of freedom of speech um, – are taken as the standard throughout the world because Twitter, Facebook, et al, Instagram, whatever, these things all are all American, but they're now they're global. And if we're not careful, American standards, mores, ethics are going to be taken as the standard for the world, the standard for other communities and other societies. So I, so I think I it's think kind of right and proper, you know. Can I, ch can I challenge that premise a little? Here's how I want to challenge it. So Europe has much better online privacy rules than the United States, just speaking sort of with a very broad Absolutely, GDPR. Yeah. And, 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 right, and as a result of that, the, those, those standards can be enforced um, when, those, when those companies have an online presence in those European countries. Um, Europe has been able to, to, to enforce a, a different standard. And in fact, that has caused America to sort of catch up a bit, certainly at the individual state level, if not completely at the federal level. But I want to also go back just to finish my thought. Here's what I'm nervous about. I look at what's going on in the United States right now and the, the, the political climate we have now. And I'm seeing a lot of suggestion from the right that it's conservative viewpoints that are being um, 
censored in some way on these platforms and there's a political bias and that, that, that there's this narrative that that's an issue that needs to be dealt with. I'm seeing, these may sound like unconnected strands, but I hope I can connect them. I'm seeing a movement now in state legislatures. And of course, as everyone in your audience knows, it, unlike typical European countries where there's a unified system of law, we have 50 states, each of which can have their own law, which is very different than US law in ways. We have states talking about passing laws preventing discrimination against people who refuse to be COVID vaccinated. So those sorts of things where government entities, I'm not talking about someone just expressing an opinion, are talking about those kinds of things. We need to stop online platforms from discriminating against conservative viewpoints. We need to pass laws protecting people who refuse to be vaccinated but Steve, against Steve, discrimination. Right, Steve, I get worried about the government getting involved. In isn't this. there a per- per- perverse, and I'm, I'm going to throw this question, not to you, I'm going to throw this out to the room. There's a perverse incentive for um, social media um, platforms actually uh, to only lightly uh, be censorious against um, hate speech or at least speech which comes very close to being hate speech because you know what? People click on it, right? People want a bit of a fight. People want something which is controversial and clicks uh, lead, lead, lead to money, So, which is the reason why I think we do need some level of legislation against these entities which are more powerful than any uh, traditional tradition, uh, terrestrial broadcaster, more powerful than the national uh, newspapers. Um, Helen, uh, you're an England fan. You're English. You were supporting the team on, on Sunday. How disgusted have you been uh, with the antics of some of our uh, compatriots in the last week? I, I would like to say I was shocked, but I wasn't. Um, as soon as, as soon as the first, I can't remember who it was now, but as soon as the first miss happened, um, you just knew what was going to occur. Um, And, you know, it's really sad that they also knew that, you know, I've seen a statement. um, I, I can't remember which, which player it was, but, you know, one of the, right. One of their statements was just saying, you know, as soon as it happened, I I knew, Um, and it is devastating, you know, it's devastating for them that they live in an environment in a country that they knew that was going to happen. Um, You know, and sadly, I wasn't shocked because I think we all knew. I think we all knew it was going to happen. And, you know, I, I struggle with the, the notion that what would have happened had they not missed and we had taken the game was that they would have been hailed by here as heroes by the very people who are now, you know, calling them all sorts of racist names because they missed. And, you know, all this talk about, you you know, football and the game sort of unifying and, you know, well, it hasn't really, has it, you know? Um, But yeah, absolutely disgusted at it. But, you know, as a fan and of a, somewhat of a historian of, of the beautiful game, um, not that there isn't any racism in France, there's lots of racism in France and, and arguably I think it's much more overt than it is in the UK. But uh, France winning the World Cup in uh, 1998 was seen as one of the um, this seminal 
moments of post-war France in terms of kind of racial identity and integration. But when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. On that note, um, Tyrone Mings, who's the uh, Villa Aston Villa defender who plays for England, had some pretty pointed words this week for Pretty Patel. You don't get to stoke the fire at the beginning of the tournament by labelling our anti-racism message as gesture politics and then pretend to be disgusted when the very thing we're campaigning against happens. I think there's a really important message from that England team to all politicians, all politicians in this country, including the, the Home Secretary. I think the deputy leader of the Labour Party put it very well yesterday. You know, if you blow dog whistles, the dogs will start barking at some point. And you, know, you, you have a responsibility for that. And I think everyone's going to move beyond these culture wars and the kind of pointless divisions that it creates. Well, not just pointless, the, the dangerous divisions that they create. And, and learn from what this England team has done to this country this, this summer. And politicians should be kind of following that rather than obviously seeking to derail it. Needs airing. Uh, Michelle. Um, I know you made a big uh, meal for your, for family and friends uh, before before the match. Um, what has this week told us about ourselves, if we didn't already know it? Well, first of all, as soon as England lost, um, I was thinking, I hope no bricks are going to be thrown in Italian restaurants this evening. They because were. I know what English fans are like, unfortunately. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would be waking up to such news that they've turned on their own players. I know they've done this before, but it wasn't something that I was thinking about. And I don't know whether you looked on my Instagram, Royfield, but I did post something about it saying that the Jewish community is absolutely appalled with what has happened with this racist abuse issue. Um, by the way, 80% of the online abuse, apparently, according to The Guardian, was from outside the UK. 
Did you hear this? I did. And it's something which Gareth Southgate did actually say in a press conference on Monday. He says, I know a lot of this abuse has come from abroad, but even if it's 80%, they're still there's still 20%. And uh, nobody illegally came into Britain uh, the night after the match to go to Withenshaw and daub that mural of, uh, of Marcus Rashford. That was done by, by right. a Brit. So, so yes, right. t- point taken, but still. Okay. I just wanted to, to make that clear. Uh, I know five have been arrested. Please correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I haven't been updated with the news today. I know five have been arrested. But on the whole, throughout the country, there were apparently 930 arrests, all uh, for GBH, uh, public nuisance, abuse, basically hooliganism. Um, So, you know, this is what we're dealing with here when it comes to our football fans. And it's a real, real shame. And it's very, very upsetting. Um, Regarding taking the knee, I don't. I don't understand what the problem is with this, to be honest with you. Would it be um, better if the knee would represent all racism, including anti-Semitism? You know, we have a very big problem with the word yid in football at the moment. Um, and David Badil is constantly campaigning to, to ban this word and... Um, I don't know what the issue is so far with it, but is it is would it be maybe if we could make the back the uh, the <laughs> knee kneeling on the knee if we could make that just for humanity, just for you know what, Michelle? Uh, I I thought it was to be honest with you. I I, I don't think that this well, was. So did I, but but some people don't. Some people don't, and this is why they have an issue with it. But, but, and I think Gareth Southgate made the point before the tournament. He says this is for all sections of English society. We are a community. That's the reason why we're doing this to show solidarity so for everybody. People, because they're so bloody stupid, Michelle. Because they're so bloody they stupid and they see it as pandering to a left wing uh, political agenda i just want to come on on to daniel uh before maybe we should try that's why maybe we should try and somehow distance it from that and try and make it something else well i i I don't know about that michelle but what i'm but i am going to do quickly now though is going to come on to on to daniel uh, because i know daniel um you like me are a great lover of the game and have been uh ever since you were knee high to a grasshopper I can't remember who exactly said oh, it was Shen. Shen mentioned um, the 1980s and the problems that John Barnes had. And there's a famous picture with him playing for Liverpool, uh, Daniel, where um, there is a banana kind of like thrown and it's just, just by oh, his foot. Cool. Yeah. I actually think we have to give uh, the football authorities some credit here, right? If we look, go back to the 1980s, that vile... Um, outpouring of naked hate uh, racism is in large part gone from English stadiums. It has. You st- and, and we still hear of somebody uh, uh, maybe doing monkey chants or being uh, abusing a black player and they get ejected. You know, the atmosphere in the English football stadium is not the same in 2021 as it was in the 1980s. That's just fact. That's not to say that it's perfect 
but it has changed. And we have had kick it out, uh, kick racism out of football campaigns, etc. cetera. Uh, Daniel, what can football do? And, 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 and that's another thing as well. The, the FA came out with an incredibly strongly worded statement when the, uh, the racism started on Sunday, Monday. Incredibly strongly worded uh, statement. What can football do in England? Because this does, doesn't seem to go on in Scotland or in Wales. In England, what can we do to get rid of this stain of racism from our game? Well, it's a big, deep uh, question. Uh, I think in terms of out of the stands and stadiums, there's so much CCTV camera now. I think that's a much more simple process of banning anyone that is found guilty to be racist within the stadium. I think that's um, the easier part of the problem too. Um but in terms of social media, that's more difficult um, in terms of, of people being racist. I mean, I can't believe, Michelle, like you never in your wildest dreams thought you'd see that. That's amazing to me. I mean, I thought that immediately was going to happen as soon as, you know, just, just the way Saka did. Three, uh, three black players missed penalties. And it was like, oh, my God, you knew what was going to happen immediately on social media, I thought. Uh, you knew Italian restaurants were going to have their windows smashed. Yes, right? that was the first right. thing I thought of. And we haven't even talked about the 5,000 fans that tried to smash through Wembley Stadium to the ground. You know, they've shown them that, like, I saw a video footage of, like, what looked like English thugs, like, beating the shit out of people, uh, which was not good at anyway but actually but they were there was if you saw another angle all of these people trying to trying to push through the um, disabled doors to get into the stadium and like rushing rushing the, the stadium it was terrible i don't know what you can do okay I, the social media thing. michelle brought up david Badil. i can't stand that david Badil is trying to stop specifically at tottenham not using the word yid uh, which for anyone who doesn't know in England, because we don't have the, I live in America and in America they have the word kike, which is the equivalent of calling a, a black person the N-word to a Jew in America. In England, it's yid. It would be the equivalent, right? However, Tottenham being the Jewish club uh, or predominantly Jewish, fa- Jewish fans have reclaimed the word yid at the stadiums in much the same way as um, black people feel they've uh, reclaimed the word the, uh, or, or use it amongst themselves, the N-word. And I, having been Jewish and going to the to games when I, when I was back in England, kind of love the fact that we are the Yid army and, and shout Yid army and Yiddo. And, but other people uh, shout it too. And I think that's where uh, the problem lies. It's our well, word. It belongs to I us. don't see... It does belong to us. And funnily enough, it's the only time as Jews collectively, and there's a lot of Jews in the stadium, we don't mind seeing non-Jewish Spurs supporter, supporters all as a c- collective. 60,000 people in the stadium shouting Yid Army. Um, I don't know any Jewish people that have an issue with it within the, you know, within the Spurs community using Yid Army or Yiddo. And actually, when you're at the stadium and you hear it, 
it's quite it's, it's actually becomes quite funny you see this big sort of english dog going you know what i mean but it, it there is no racist connotation to it at all now taking that outside of the stadium obviously if someone with the intention is calling you a dirty yid or something that's different i know david Badil's jewish but i'm not with david Badil on this particular issue and i know lots and lots and lots of, of jewish fans and spurs supporters who don't want it removed in fact they tried a few years ago they said get the y word out of tottenham out of football and they were going to remove people that used it from the stadium and it didn't work because it was literally everyone but that's that's a complete side issue i just wanted to bring that up because um michelle mentioned david I, 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 I'm not down with that. But in terms of what you can do with social media, I don't know is the answer. But in terms of within the stadium and violence outside the stadium, I mean, England has more CCTV cameras per capita than any other country in the world. If you can find them and locate them, then there should be serious consequences. Um, I'm going to come back uh, on to you, Steve, and then we'll come, come on to you, uh, Michael, because I believe you've actually got some decent Wi-Fi now. Uh, will abolishing online, online anonymity help tackle these underlying problems of racist yes. b- booth? Uh, this, is, this is for Steve O'Neill. I mean, it'll tackle the problem of people feeling they can say these things online without consequences. I mean, the underlying issues... That's still going to be there. They're going to be people, like you said, who'll go to things like Marcus Rashford's uh, sort of mural and um, deface it. And you know, I don't think you, know, you can crack down on those people. You can have the appropriate sort of uh, sanctions. I mean, it's very difficult just to wave a wand and a razor overnight. I mean, we should remember as well that the that mural was then covered in many expressions of, of love and support for Marcus Rashford. So um i would i wouldn't say that yeah, it, it's a stain on the whole of society um but no it won't, it won't solve the problem no michael so i appreciate this uh space and the conversation uh, the first thing uh, it's sort of a layered uh simple but complex uh discussion um uh at the same time but the thing that i thought about uh, was obviously it's an educational issue. There's no way that people who look somebody in the eyes who's a person of color or somebody of the black and brown community and really truly listen and make it a part of their lifestyle to to seek a greater understanding is going to boo people that knee. So, and, and you know, the reality is that people that are uh, white supremacists, supremacists or who just want to get a rise uh, you're probably not going to change their views. It's the people in the gray area in the middle that we're probably targeting to try and uh, educate. The other thing I thought about was uh, when I teach, uh, sometimes I talk about uh, drinking and driving. I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but uh, it's very expensive if you get a DUI here in the United States. Uh, it can cost you up to $20,000 in uh, court costs and insurance changes and jail time even and if uh does that deter people i don't know but say for example um once you did get your license back you had a blinking license plate uh you know or other things were in place you know to to let everyone know hey you've had a dui you know and so i know there's been some discussion around this you know if there's a, a branded component uh, legally and consequences that fit the crime, but are also going to deter people. You know, I just think that people get off the hook with a slap on the wrist and that's, you know, part of the issue as well as education. 
and I'm done speaking. Thank you. Um, education is definitely something that, that we do need, but I kind of started the show and this is a question going out to anybody who just wants to un- unmute themselves and answer. I started the show by saying, uh, or at least alluding to the fact that what we didn't have was, was leadership, leadership on the issue uh, of taking a knee, taking a knee was taken because racism is endemic in the UK. Um, and this was a gesture, which the English football team, um, being, racially diverse felt that they had to do to represent all English men and women, whatever color they happen to be born, born into. And we have a prime minister who basically equivocated uh, when uh, the question was put to him about England football fans booing, not all, not even half, let's say 20%. And it had to be said um, when Gareth Southgate came out with his uh, letter of statement um, about what, that the English football team were going to continue to take that knee. Um, subsequent to that, in the first few matches, there was more applause than there was booing, but there still was booing. So I'm going to put education, one second, Daniel, I'm going to put education to one side for now. Why can't we have leadership from our present government that isn't reactive to this stuff that when it goes wrong says oh this is terrible but actually will lead and and can actually get behind um this incredibly powerful gesture gesture politics isn't something which can just be relegated to be something which is just ephemeral this gesture is a powerful gesture why can't we have the leaders that we deserve Usually people don't respond to something until there's a reason to respond because it's not really something to... No, but but he was asked to respond though, Michael, and and he didn't respond uh, at all. He says, well... um, Two days. I think think Priti Patel, uh, worse to the effect of, and I'm not going to nail this word for word, but she says the booing of the taking of the knee is something for English fans... uh, to do if they want to. It's for them to decide if they want to do it. Where's that effect? Uh, R- Rizwan. Yeah, so, um, I, you know, I think the comments have from, from Boris uh, Johnson and Priti Patel have not have come out of their position. And Boris has a, uh, and Priti Patel have a track record of uh, statements to that of cause that, that have been labelled as racist. Um, Pretty Patel was uh, David Cameron in the European uh, the, the, the referendum five years ago said that she raised a toxic cauldron about uh, immigration. She went further than anyone else could, partly because she has a defence of I'm from an ethnic minority. And Boris Johnson, whose pater- meter- uh, I think paternal grandfather was a Turk, railed against the Turks entering the EU and immigration, also um, has been very disparaging about Africa and uh, Muslim women. And he had the famously talked about um, black pickaninnies uh, at one point and also was uh, disparaging also about uh, Barack Obama as well. So, yes, he has an an, an utter, utter, um, you know, track record of saying this type of stuff. It's just that... I would have thought, and I'm naive, I'm utopian, I want everyone to hug each other, I believe, you know, I'm Mr. Kumbaya, I would have thought on the run-up to this championship, Prime Minister of England would have said, whatever the English team need to do to show solidarity uh, is all right by me. Walk away from the question. 
sorry, what did Boris Johnson say, uh, Royfield, when he said he, 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 he talked around the issue? I actually don't have the quote in front of me. I've got Pretty Patel's just up now. But he talked around the issue. He didn't condemn uh, the fans who were booing at all. Right, OK. He was asked Can a very just... direct question. Go, go on, Michelle. Um, but what I wanted to say was regarding taking the knee, if we can somehow distance it from this political um, left-wing association and look at it in its pure form, which is a symbol of tolerance and peace and love, not political at all, if we can highlight that this is also an action which is an umbrella for all racism, including anti-Semitism, maybe it would be less criticised. The people that it bothers aren't, aren't, are not going to be mollified by that. They're, they're just going to make. They're just going to say, "Oh, now it's everybody." I can't. It, 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 I don't think that will work, Michelle. I think it will just. It will just dilute certain things. Um, players can answer individually now about. Their own feelings about these, about these, not gesture, but these powerful statements that they make, um, and I, I think the, the people that hate it are going to hate it more if you encompass it to, if you stretch it to to uh, encompass all races. I would, I would think. Isn't that what it is already? Don't they? When the commentators often say when they take the knee, uh, you know, initially it was BLM, but now it's like to uh, admonish all racism whatsoever. Uh, across the board, that there's no place for racism. So that does encompass everything. I, I just think that we have to admit that um, some people do not, A, think that racism is a thing, and that B, are racist. And regardless of the stated symbolism of taking the knee, some people are just like, well, I am racist. That's the reason why I'm booing this. I see this is excluding me somehow, you know. Uh, but on that note, I, I quickly need to say this for the podcast. Uh, so this is the podcast Mid-Atlantic, uh, which I've been in for some seven years. And I just get my friends and people who um, I kind of quite like to talk about the politics, the issues of the day on either side of the Atlantic. And today we're talking about the taking of the knee and racism in English football. Um, it's a week where I've been shamed to be English. I'm very proud to call myself Black, Jamaican and English. And I've been utterly ashamed of the English part of my identity in in the last week. But maybe, maybe, maybe uh, this is a, a point of reckoning uh, for those people in power who use uh, dog whistle politics um, against um, universal themes of, of solidarity and, and, and racial solidarity. If you are listening to this podcast and 2,000 of you download it or whenever I put one out, uh, why don't you jump onto Clubhouse? What it will mean is that you can jump up on stage, you can ask a, a question when we go live. And if anybody is in the audience right now, hit the little greenhouse and you can be alerted when I go live with these shows. Generally, I do them on a Thursday around about 2 p.m. Eastern, which is 11 Pacific and which is 7 p.m. in the UK. Very obviously, we can keep talking uh, about this. Uh, but again, it's another reason for you to maybe join us on, on Clubhouse because we do keep the conversations going after the allotted hour. But the podcast is only for one hour. But this conversation uh, went on for some time before. But what I do need you to do, if you're a right-thinking human being, and if you're not, why, you know, you should be after listening to this podcast, please sign the petition, which is going around the UK. And I believe um, just short of a million people have already signed it to really uh, 
censor uh, this government, but also put your name against uh, racism. Do it in a very forceful way. Uh, and, and that small little gesture will help uh, our politicians actually to lead on this subject, put pressure on social media platforms to help tamp out um, hate speech, but also can actually show those English football players that it was a bigoted and Neanderthal minority uh, that not only booed them, but then also posted that file online. Uh, racism. Um, those three players are English Lions. We can all be proud of and all get behind. And well done to, t- to Gareth Southgate and the team for getting to the first final that England have participated in in 55 years. I'll see you all again, um, maybe in about two weeks' time, for another Mid Atlantic. Take care, look after yourselves, be good. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.